1: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today, which is, of course, a Sports Ethos presentation. I'm your host, Joe Orico, and you guys can find me on Twitter at Joe orico 99 Also, be sure to check out Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter. That's where all of our new baseball content gets posted. These podcasts, the It's Gone podcast with Britton Allen that we also just recently launched, all of our different articles, news, and notes, everything for our draft guide as well, literally all of our baseball stuff, guys. Go check out Ethos Fantasy BB. Throw us a follow. And you guys can check it all out at the source as well, at sportsethos.com. I've been saying that for quite a while now for the entirety of the offseason, pretty much to go and follow Ethos Fantasy BB. And it was in anticipation of all the great stuff that the guys pulled together. More than 20 articles are in the draft guide. We're going to keep adding, I think, at least five, six more of them over the next couple of weeks before the season does get going. So please make sure that you guys are following at Ethos Fantasy BB. And, of course, checking out SportsEthos.com, the website. I could be wrong about that number, too. It might be seven or eight more articles. There's a bunch more uh, content that will be coming into that draft guide for sure. Uh, So please do, guys. uh, Make sure and check that out at sportsethos.com. But today, we are going to get into starting pitcher rankings. This is one of the most fun episodes I think I'm probably going to end up doing. Something that I've been looking forward to. I took more time with these ones than the other rankings. We've done a show for every other position Starting pitcher, I wanted to take a little bit more time because there are so many names. There's a lot that I wanted to go over before I put them out in written form. I tweeted them out this morning. If you guys are not following on Twitter, uh, you would have seen them this morning if you are. uh, If you're not, go and please check them out. Over there, you guys can follow along with the whole list. Now, I posted the top 50. I'll probably post the next 50 tomorrow, and we're going to go over rankings over the next... It'll take up most of this week, starting pitcher rankings, because I'm going to go beyond the top 100. I'll talk about my top 100... And then I'll talk about some players that just missed outside of the top 100. We'll probably go about 115, 120 names deep in total. Likely we're going to be taking up the entire week on starting pitching. But today we're going to get through as many as we can. I'm not going to set a specific number because I don't know how long I'm going to end up rambling about specific names. And knowing me, there will be one or two rants in here for sure. And we've already got a little bit of pushback from them on Twitter, which is always fun. So we'll talk about some of that. Let's get it started with number one. He's been my number one the entire offseason. That much has not changed for me. Corbin Burns. If you guys saw my very, very early ranks that I put out in October, I just did a top 50 overall, no positions. Uh, Corbin Burns was pretty high up on that list. He was the number one pitcher then, and that has not changed for me. If you're looking at his projections, if you're looking at what he's done over these last couple of seasons, Corbin Burns is, for me, about as safe of an option as you are going to find at the top of the draft board. He did have some struggles last year. It wasn't the perfect season for him, but he still finished off with 12 victories, over 200 innings. It was 202 innings. A 2.94 ERA. He's striking out more than 30% of batters. Very, very safe option at the top of your drafts. He's usually going, depending on your format, end of the first round, generally, between picks 10 and 15, and I think it's very safe. I took him the other day in a draft. I have a couple of shares of him so far. You know, I don't want to take pitching early this season. That's not been what I've been trying to do. But in a couple instances where I have ended up taking a pitcher at the end of the first, beginning of the second, it has been Corbin Burns exclusively. There's nobody else there. Like Garrett Cole is also going in that kind of range, and I suppose I've taken Shohei Otani, so he technically counts. But I'm getting both players there where I've drafted him. It's one Otani, not Yahoo Otani, where there's two of them. Uh, so it kind of counts, but not really. Burns is is clearly, for me, the number one pitcher. Are there some things to worry about? Maybe. If there's anything that kind of pops into my mind about it, it might be a concern, it might not be at this point, was the way that the Brewers treated him during the offseason and in the arbitration process. That could work both ways. That could lead you to you maybe not giving 100% of your all for the team. But at the same time, I think Corbin Burns is trying to secure a big long-term contract so even if he's not trying to necessarily help out the Brewers long-term after how they treated him, I think he's going to try and secure his own money long-term. So he's not going to go out there and not give 100%. That's not what I'm worried about. Down the stretch in the second half, if maybe if there's something else to point to, he was not quite as good as the first half, but that's because the first half was so elite. He was a two one four ERA in the second half. He was not quite as sturdy. It was a three nine seven, but of course, we're looking at the whole season. We're not looking at just parts of it. And I know a lot of people will do that, and I'll do it to some extent. You look at second-half statistics, but they can sometimes belie the actual point of what you're trying to make, and sometimes they are not really something to look at. Like, you know, Hunter Green is something we'll talk about at some point. We won't get him today, but if you just look at his second half, if you look at his last month or so of the season, and you just base it on that, then he'd be a top-five, top-seven pitcher for you probably – because of how good he was in those starts, there's a lot more that goes into it than that. I look at the whole season. I look at previous years, and I'm also looking at the projections. And when you look at the projections, Corbin Burns is right up there in terms of the innings pitched. 191 is what ATC is calling for. One of the best strikeout rates among all starting pitchers. There's a lot to like. A 307 ERA is the projection, which is the second best for all starters, just behind Jacob deGrom. There's a lot to like about Corbin Burns. And for me, he is a very safe candidate at number one. Now, number two, I have Shane McClanahan. I know not a lot of people are going to agree with me on this particular pick. Shane McClanahan, I think, is should be viewed as at least, at the very worst, like the third pitcher that you should take off the board. I'm not going to give you a hard time if you want to take Garrett Cole. There is a lot of security that comes with that pick. But Shane McClanahan, especially this last season, but you can look at the last two years, has been just so incredibly elite. And people will point to the stretch after he was injured last season as being not as rosy as what we were probably hoping for uh, once he came back. He was not quite the same pitcher once he came back. But we're talking about four starts at the end of the season where, you know, it wasn't the greatest, sure. He faced Houston twice and Toronto twice. And that's something that I've talked about a little bit more earlier in the offseason. We haven't touched on it so much, but he had a very tough schedule down the stretch. He was not great. He was coming back from injury and at the end of the day I'm not holding it against him. We were looking at the entirety of the season, you're looking at the entirety of the body of work and I'm trying I'm trying to tell people not to just look at smaller sample sizes. Yes, it was four starts where it didn't look great for him against horrible opponents coming off an injury. He's had the whole off season to get back up to full health. And I think that we're going to see exactly the same thing from what we saw last year and the year before, which is incredible strikeout numbers. I think that they're going to let him go deeper into games this season. I mean, they weren't like holding him back last year, but he wasn't going past 100 pitches. It was about six innings max. He still ended up 166 innings, but all these projections are calling for more than that this season, and I'm definitely there with them. I think we're going to see 170, 180 McClanahan innings where he's still giving you great strikeout numbers. There's great team context, so there should be a lot of wins to come by. And overall, there's nowhere that he's going to be hurting you. He is very discounted as far as I see it in terms of early drafts. I mean, I guess we're not early drafts anymore. They're just drafts at this point. Typically going like the third round. I'm going to pull up his most recent ADP. But generally, he's going in the third round. And I think that you I mean, I'll take it. But I think that realistically, he should be going in the second round a lot of the time. Now, I haven't actually been able to. Actually, do I have one share? I have one share of McClanahan. I'm starting to lose track of of all my drafts that I've done so far. But I do have one share. I'm hoping to get more because the price, unless it starts to go up dramatically, it's very reasonable right now. These most recent drafts, the most recent draft champions, which I guess I shouldn't really be looking at those anymore because people are starting to move away. But there's still been 14 of them done in March. McClanahan's not going off the board on average till pick 43. 43... I think that's pretty, pretty reasonable. If I go to, like, online championships, let's take a look. He's going 36. That's a 12-team league. So depending on where you are, it's still third round. Depending on, you know, maybe if you're in a 12-team league, you can get him in the fourth round. His max pick there over the last couple of weeks is 46. You know, I think he's really undervalued, and I think it's probably because when he came back, he wasn't as good as he was people were hoping for down the stretch. But like we talked about, I wouldn't hold that against him. I really wouldn't. I think that he is a very, very safe option there at the top of draft boards. And again, it's not even really the top of draft boards. He's the top of my particular draft board for starting pitchers. But at the same time, you're not paying that premium on him. So he's somebody that I'd be targeting a lot. You can get him third, fourth round, depending on your draft. Who knows? Maybe he pushes up to the second. But I think for the most part, you are going to be getting him probably, probably in the third round regardless of where you're going, I think that's going to be where the ADP falls. Somewhere around pick 30, low 30s, I think that's where you're going to be able to get him and I'd recommend it. Now, next up, we have Garrett Cole, number three. Now, my main concern with Garrett Cole, I've talked about this a little bit. Actually, I've talked about it a decent a decent bit, actually. He's struggled the last couple of seasons down the stretch a lot, and I know we're not looking at just one year or one small sample size of what he done in September or what, he, you know, But he's done it for the last couple of seasons now where he has kind of imploded down the stretch. And if you look at the ERA numbers these last two years, 323 and 350, It's still very good. But specifically when you look at this season, he had a 350 ERA, gave you good strikeout numbers. He had 13 wins. But if you're in a head-to-head league, he killed you. He killed you down the stretch. The last month of the season, he was not good. September, October, it was a 4-5 ERA. If you look back to 2021, and you look back over the last month of the season, it was a 5.13 ERA. That kind of concerns me when he's done it a couple of times now, falling apart down the stretch a little bit. Now, I, the projections still like Garrett Cole, but there is something to be said for me about somebody who is going to be consistent for the whole year. And again, we don't know. We don't know going into the year. This is just something that I'm, I'm seeing and something that I feel personally that he has not really been up to scratch down the stretch these last couple of seasons. His projections are still very good, generally looking at like a low threes ERA, but his ERA is projected for the 10th best in Major League Baseball, according to ATC. Not right up at the top there with your Burns and your McClanahan and your DeGrom. I'm just not quite sold on Garrett Cole, especially where he is going, and the price is probably going to get pushed up a little bit where he is going at the end of the first round, whereas right now, you can sometimes get him in the second round, depending on your draft. His most recent ADP is 19. That's in the online championships. If you go to Draft Champions, uh, it's 15. Uh, generally, second, first round, or end of end of the first, beginning of the second. I just I, I don't feel that safety in drafting Garrett Cole this year like I have in in certain years past. And I mean, a lot of the years over these last several years, I've had shares of Garrett Cole here and there. He's never been like a huge target of mine, mostly because of price. I just feel like this year we're asking for a bit of a letdown. I think the Yankees have overperformed a little bit. They are currently, I don't know, he might be the only healthy starting pitcher they have left at this point. So the, the depth has been depleted, the starting pitching depth. He might be asked to do a lot more, but I don't know that the rest of the team is going to carry the load necessarily and still give you those wins that you're going to be hoping for. Like he's projected for 15 wins by ATC. He's the only pitcher projected for 15 wins. I don't know that we're going to see that necessarily. I think the Yankees are going to regress a little bit. I think that they were buoyed by the greatness of Aaron Judge last season. I think the rest of the lineup, and we've talked about this a lot throughout the offseason, I don't think the Yankees are that good. I think outside of Judge, specifically outside of Judge, they're not very good. Obviously, Judge is amazing. But when you look at the rest of the roster, you know, Rizzo is very good. Yes, there's some young guys who potentially could be very good there. But I just don't see this team as being a hundred win juggernaut. They're going to win the division. They're going to. I just, I personally don't see a great year coming from the Yankees. I think that the win total for Cole will be suppressed. He's worried me in and of himself these last couple of seasons. The ERA it's not like he's been sparkling. You know, a three five ERA, three three ERA the year prior. It's good. Is it first round good? Uh, I don't know. I guess you have the security of having the strikeouts. You're probably getting two hundred strikeouts with him. I just. Outside of that, are you sure you're getting anything else? Like, if it's a 3 5 ERA again, would we be shocked by it? I personally wouldn't be. The projections, I don't think they would be either, based on what we're seeing. You know, generally calling for like a 3 3 ERA. I'm just a little bit worried at price. I still think he is elite. That's why I have him as the number three starting pitcher. I don't hate him or anything but I definitely would have him behind the first two names on this list. I'm a little bit worried in general about what we're going to see outside of strikeouts. I don't think there's any worry with the strikeouts. 200 plus, assuming health, absolutely. Everything else, I'm not 100% sold on Garrett Cole at the price for this season. But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. There's a a good chance that he could end up as the number one starting pitcher still. He has the skill set to do that. The Yankees could surprise and end up being very good. They might spend a lot of money and bring in more players like they are known to do although not so much recently, but you know maybe they get back to their spending ways, bring in some more arms, bring in another bat in the lineup, and maybe we're talking about a team that could potentially get back to that 100-win threshold. I don't see it as of right now, and I think that will suppress the overall value of Cole. I'm not so opposed to taking him, but I'd much rather take him if he falls to closer to pick 20 or so as opposed to you know jumping up and setting the minimum pick on him at number 8 or number 9. I'm definitely trying to take him in the second round if I am taking him at all this season. Now, number four, Spencer Strider. My original number four on this list was Carlos Rodon. He had to go down the list, obviously, with the forearm worries. We don't know what that's going to be. It might end up being very, very ugly for Carlos Rodon. So I have tentatively put him at 27. And I have no idea at this point, guys, where to rank Carlos Rodon. He is very tricky. Tyler Glasnow as well. I had to push down Tyler Glasnow. He was 20th, 22nd or something for me. He's outside the top 50 now. These guys that are injured going into the season, I don't really want much to do with them, albeit Rodon. Maybe it's not as serious of an issue as Glass now, but we're still pushing them way down. But regardless, everybody else got pushed up one spot in that range, and that became Spencer Strider at number four. Spencer Strider is coming off one of the best rookie seasons we have ever seen. I'm still very salty that my Rookie of the Year bet on him did not come to fruition. I hedged the bet with Michael Harris, and I still made a couple of bucks, but I got the Strider Rookie of the Year bet at like 15-1. to 1. I was over the moon. I thought I was for sure going to win a few hundred bucks on it, and I could have cashed out and made myself some good money, but I screwed up. But regardless of that, Spencer Strider last season, 31 starts, or excuse me, 31 appearances, 20 starts. I was 131 innings. He struck out nearly 14 batters per nine innings. It was 38.3 strikeout percentage. That came along with a 267 ERA. He won 11 games in those 20 starts. The dude was incredible. He was fantastic. I am in love with Spencer Strider this season. I think that he is going to be an absolute stud. Is there some worry there? Sure. I'd like for him to develop another pitch. It would be nice if everybody could develop another pitch realistically. But for somebody like Spencer Strider, I mean a good a good another pitch, not just any old random pitch. But for Spencer Strider, I mean, his fastball and slider are elite enough to get him by. I'm just, if there's any concern there at all, it's that maybe they start to figure him out a little bit. He used the fastball 70% of the time last season. Now, it was an incredibly effective pitch for him. If you look at pitch values on fan graphs, it was one of the best in baseball. The slider was incredible as well. I just kind of, am hoping that they don't figure something out there. Maybe he needs to start working in more of the changeup. He used that less than 5% of the time last season hoping that we maybe see him use that a little bit more or maybe develop something else entirely. Uh, Just just something else that will be able to throw off batters a little bit as opposed to just fastball and slider. I don't think it will hinder him necessarily, but it wouldn't hurt at all uh, if he were to add another pitch in there. He's still young enough where it's not going to alter him too much, I don't think, at 24 to mess around with the repertoire a little bit. We've seen pitchers do it a lot older, a lot worse pitchers do it. So Strider should be able to develop a third pitch if he wants to, and I think that he probably will. But regardless of that, you're getting a guy who is an absolute ace. And I am going to take a look at roster resource because there was a time when they had him listed as the fourth starter. Uh, Let's take a look here and see where they've got him right now. But he is an ace. Like, he he should get the ball probably on opening day. Maybe they go to Max Freed. But let's see what they've got. Yeah, roster resource still has him listed in the fourth spot in the rotation behind Max Freed, behind Kyle Wright, and behind Charlie Morton. That is hilarious. But I, you know, maybe he doesn't start till the third game of the season, whatever it is. Spencer Strider is going to be electric. He's going to be so much fun to watch. The strikeouts are going to be superb. I think the ratios are going to be superb. The projections are all calling for just slightly over a three ERA, 316, 310, 313. The FIP numbers are all projected to be even better than that. Uh, some of them are below three. The highest one there is three point zero eight, and that is zips. I think Spencer Strider has great potential to be a Cy Young winner to go down if he continues at his pace as one of the best pitchers we've ever seen at this point. His strikeout numbers were absolutely ridiculous. The raw strikeout total being over 200 in 131 innings is unprecedented. He's pitching for one of the best teams in baseball. He's pitching for, it could be the best team in baseball. When you look at that lineup, when you look at the rotation, when you look at the bullpen, they might be the best team in baseball. They are a hundred win threat. Spencer Strider, assuming he is healthy and is able to go out there and make, Call it 28 starts. I don't see any reason why he can't have 15 wins while giving you similarly elite strikeout numbers to last year. Like, he had 200 strikeouts in 130 innings. If he can get to 150-some-odd innings like the projections are calling for, some of them are calling for, like, 228 strikeouts. That would be, if he's able to get to 150 innings, that should be about what he's able to do at least, uh, and then some potentially even more so Spencer Strider, for me, I, I like him a lot. I've taken him in a couple of drafts. He's going generally in the second round in a lot of these higher-stakes drafts. In the NFBC, he's going 25th overall is his ADP right now, uh, and I'm looking at currently the RotoWire wire Online Championship just since March 1st. Somebody took him 8th overall. There is a lot of hype around Spencer Strider, as there should be for this season. He is incredible. He is a special player. And I'm trying to get him everywhere I can. Hopefully he slips to the third in a couple of drafts. I doubt it at this point. I did a mock draft with a friend yesterday, just a Yahoo mock draft. Just you know, We were just hanging out, just, just did it for fun. And I took Spencer Strider. I was drafting, so let me see. I took him, I guess it would have been 18th, 19th off the board, something. Or maybe it was 20th. Maybe it was 20th off the board overall in the second round. And I think that that's probably where he's generally going to be going this season. I have no problem with it. Go get yourself some Spencer Strider. He's going to be a lot of fun. Now, number five for me on this list is Brandon Woodruff. I am a huge fan of Brandon Woodruff. I think a lot of people are, you know, a couple some people I've talked to don't see it with Brandon Woodruff. A couple of friends of mine who, who don't focus as much on baseball as, you know, probably the average person listening to this or people who are in the community What's the big deal with Brandon Woodruff? He's good, but is he really that good? Yes, Brandon Woodruff is truly that good. He started off last season kind of poor. Uh, he did have, I believe it was, I can't believe remember if it was shoulder or if it was an arm problem, but his first half was not great. April ERA was 530. May was 432. He was a buy low all over the place, if you could, at the beginning of last season. For those who did end up purchasing or acquiring uh, Brandon Woodruff, he gave you a 2.38 ERA in the second half. Once May was done, he was locked in month by month. You're looking at June; he only threw five innings. It was a 1.8 ERA in those five innings. July, 30 innings at 2.10. August, 30 innings at 2.70. And then September uh, f- and October, 44 innings at 2.42 ERA. He was incredible, as he usually is. Brandon Woodruff is incredibly consistent here. If you look back over these last really every year of his career, he exclude his rookie season, which was eight starts before he really had his feet wet. And you look at everything beyond that, and I suppose even the second season, you can't really look at it so much. We can kind of ignore that. 19 games, only four starts. Let's just look at the years where he's been a primary starter. The ERAs are 362, 305, 256, and 305. The FIPS, 301, 320, 296, 308. He's always giving you great ERAs. He's always giving you great strikeout numbers. He's is giving you 30%, 29%, 31%, 29% every year walk rates identical every single year 6.1, 6.1 6.1 6.1 6.8 you know exactly what you're getting out of Brandon Woodruff this year there should not be the risk of any kind of health problems or anything like that. I mean according to what I've heard I'm, I don't know for sure without being a doctor without having you know examining him without knowing what I'm talking about in terms of the medical side of it, I think he should be healthy the projections are calling for about 160 to 175 innings if you get that out of Woody, should be able to look at 13 ish wins, 13 to 15 wins. The team context is good. It's not great in Milwaukee, but they should still be able to get a decent amount of wins. Probably, I'm thinking 13 to 15 for him. You're getting those strikeout numbers. You are getting great ERAs and you're getting great whips. End of the day, Brandon Woodruff is an absolute stud. He is a very safe draft pick. And I'm going to take a look at his ADP and see where it is at the moment because everything is bouncing around consistently right now. 37 is his ADP. So you're getting him in the third round of a 15-teamer, in the fourth round of a 12-teamer, depending on your draft, obviously. The minimum pick recently, just in just in March, and I'm looking at 12-team uh wire championships in March. The minimum pick is 25. The maximum is 56. End of the fourth round of a 15-teamer for Brandon Woodruff. You're cooking with gas there. I would be very much interested in taking him at that point, even a little bit beyond. Even if you're talking about the minimum pick at 25, I don't know if that I necessarily well, I you know, I honestly could be talked into taking him that early, depending on what's on the board, how I want to build my team. There's nothing egregious to be taking Brandon Woodruff at pick 25. I think that if you look at what he's done, what he is likely to do again this season, I, I am all in. I am all in on Brandon Woodruff for this year. The Brewers legitimately have two top five starters in baseball when you're talking fantasy or otherwise. And I'm jealous. Even though my Blue Jays are looking pretty good with their rotation, that's uh, an enviable situation to be in for sure. Let's talk about number six on this list, though. That's Aaron Nola. I almost said Austin Nola. I was looking at catchers uh, yesterday, or when was it, early this morning. I almost said Austin Nola. But Aaron Nola, crazy to me that he had a losing record on the team that went to the World Series last year, as good as he was but he had an 11 and 13 record. That's why wins in fantasy in general kind of suck, but he was 11 and 13 over his 205 innings. He had great strikeout numbers for you, giving you a 29.1% K rate. His walk rate was 3.6. He just doesn't walk batters. If you look at the last four years, and we talked about this with Brent Hershey last week, when we did our Phillies preview, his walk rates from 2019 to now 9.4%, 8%, 5.2% and 3.6% this past season. He had his highest ever K minus walk percentage at 25 and a half. Still giving you very good ERA and great whip numbers. His whip was 0.96, and it should always be relatively low because he just doesn't walk batters. The ERA at 325 was good. All the expected metrics were below uh, three. And there's not many pitchers in baseball where you can look at all their pitching indicators and say they were below three. 274 for the XERA, 258 for the FIP, 277 for the X and his Sierra was at 280. He's very, very safe. Everybody that we've talked about so far, these top six starters, is there some risk with some of them? Yeah, maybe Strider has some kind of sophomore slump potentially. You know, maybe Cole doesn't, like I I already outlined the risk with Garrett Cole. But in general, like these guys are very safe. And Nola kind of makes up, he's kind of the last guy in that first tier for me of, absolute stud aces, and we're, going, we're still talking about stud aces beyond this tier as well, but there's a little bit more risk associated with the guys beyond Aaron Nola. Although the top six for me is very, very concrete. They might move around within that top six, but at this point, I don't think they're going to, and Rodon would have been in there as well. It would have been a top seven for me, but we got to see what happens with Rodon at this point, but Aaron Nola, I think he is about as safe as you are going to find as well. I mean, the team context is there. The team got even better, even though they went to the World Series. You're talking about a guy who doesn't give up base runners. You know, the home runs, very low last season. Historically, he's been kind of pretty good, not great, but last season, sub-one homers per nine. He's never had, like, a massive problem for the career he averages. One, exactly 1.00 homers per nine. There's just, there's nothing really to worry about. Is that number maybe... uh, little bit not even like it's 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 totally reasonable in that ballpark with that team you know the wins have kind of sucked for him every year since 2018 he had 17 wins that season and then since then it's been 12 and then there was a couple of short years or the short year in 2020 and then 2021 actually it wasn't even short year he pitched 32 games he won only nine of them it was a bad year for him uh, in 2021 we bought back in in 22 and this year i'm buying back in even more Aaron Nola if you had if you had him in your top five no, no problem there. He is elite as it gets. You're getting all five categories, all five, all four categories that he can possibly touch, taken care of there. Great whip, great strikeouts, great team context. Should be a great ERA as well. Aaron Ola, very solidly in in my number six spot. And like I said, just to reiterate, these guys make up the safe tier. Beyond this, are there guys that are kind of safe beyond it? Sure, uh, you know, spread out throughout the draft here and there. But in terms of that top-tier production where you start them, you know what they're going to give you. I think that it's kind of these guys right here. And then we start to talk about some guys who are a little bit more risky. And we start that risky tier off with Mr. Shohei Otani. And we've talked about Otani a lot recently. We talked about him when we went over my draft. We did an Angels when we went over TGFBI because I took him in the first round. We talked about him when we did the Angels preview. We'll talk about him again here briefly, just on the pitching side. You know, he was amazing in 2021 on the mound. Over 130 innings, he gave you a 3.18 ERA. Great strikeout numbers, you know, great ratios. Overall, he was fantastic in 2021. 2022 on the mound, he was better in every single way. More innings, more strikeouts, fewer walks, better ERA, better everything. Like, he... Uh, and we've talked about this before as well, you could make an argument and a pretty concrete argument that he is the best player to ever play baseball. I think that you you could definitely make that case for him. Strikeout numbers are are so stupid. 33% K rate for him and a 6.7% walk rate. To go along with a 233 ERA, like he could have won the Cy Young last season. He could have been a very realistic Cy Young winner if you look back at historical records and you look at the season, you think, wow, that's like, that could have been a Cy Young here. Obviously, Verlander was just pretty much untouchable last year considering he had a sub-2 ERA. He was just a good story as well, you know, great team. Verlander was going to win it, but looking at what Otani did, man, like, he was truly special. And that's not even looking at the batting side of it where he had 34 homers and 11 steals and had a 273 batting average. Like, he's just, he's just so, so good. I'm very happy to take him and this is this is a tricky one when ranking him. I'm happy to take him in the first round if he is dual. And I've talked about this before these last couple this last week a couple times but I'll touch on it again if you guys missed those shows. If he is a dual player and well this is this is kind of a a long one but if he is a dual player where you can use him every single day in either which way you want. If he's pitching on Monday, you put him in there to pitch on Monday. On Tuesday, if he's batting, you put him in the lineup on Tuesday. In that case, he is number one. He should be number one in your rankings if you're playing on ESPN. If you're playing on Yahoo and he's two separate players, the Otani batter is an end-of-the-first-round kind of guy, probably 12 to 15 ADP range, and that's generally where he should be going. The pitcher you're getting in the fourth round, typically. You're getting him somewhere in the 40s, earlier in draft season. He was going into the 50s, and maybe in the individual some individual drafts, he will still go into the 50s. But I think that he is a great bargain there at that point. I think that's probably eh, it's probably a little bit late, honestly. I think you should be going, even just as a pitcher, probably in the 30s, maybe early 40s. There is risk. And, you know, I'll, I'll take him in one last thing. I'll take him in the first round, end of the first round, if you're choosing weekly, uh, whether it's, you know, you choose on Monday or Sunday, whenever you set it, if it's going to be Otani batter for the week or if it's going to be Otani pitcher for the week. There, it's very complicated to rank him because every site has different rules around him. I, I think that he is uh, he, hes almost impossible to even quantify in terms of his value. He is not the safest player that you can take because of the fact that he does play the field and he does pitch. There is an elevated chance of him getting injured as opposed to the average pitcher or the average position player. He is probably, in terms of all players in Major League Baseball, right up there with all with the top of them, in terms of the risk of getting injured. It's hard, it's hard to rank Otani, and you could probably make a case that he's a top five starting pitcher, and you wouldn't necessarily be wrong. Uh, I think having him at seven is a good general area because the upside is still the number one starting pitcher. But the downside is you know, if he does get hurt, the odds are that he won't pitch and he would just be a position player if they had to choose one or the other for him. They wouldn't want to shut him down completely. My, this is just a total hypothesis, but if he does have some kind of, let's say he has a strain or something or there's something going on, I guess it would depend on the injury. But in a vacuum, generally, let's just say there's some random Otani injury, undefined injury, the odds are that they would shut him down as a pitcher before they would shut him down as a position player. So there is that risk where if you do take him strictly as a pitcher, it might not work out in the long run for you because of that elevated risk of injury. But that being said, he just went out there and threw 28 starts, 166 innings. They're fairly careful with him. Historically, they're not going to go out there and let him throw 130 pitches. They've usually been using six-man rotations, which might be coming to an end this season. But still, I I can't pass him up at that price as a pitcher only, where he is generally going as a pitcher only in the 40s, The upside is just so, so crazy high. You could build a roster on Yahoo. You can go and get yourself DeGrom and Otani pitcher, and you can just build such a stupid team in a 12-teamer, and there is going to be risk there. But in a 12-team league, I think I would take the chance on Shohei Otani still, especially especially when you have IL slots. That's the huge part of it when you're playing on one of those sites. When you're on the NFBC, I talk about the NFBC quite a bit during this offseason. There's no IL slots. If you are playing on Yahoo, if you're playing wherever else, really, you have IL slots to use, and it makes Otani that much more valuable because if he is hurt, then yes, you can find somebody to replace him on the wire as opposed to just having to drop him or bench him in the NFBC, which you're not going to be dropping him unless he's done for the year. Uh, It might make the situation a lot trickier if he were to get hurt. He is a very complicated player to rank. It is different based on what site you're playing on. At the end of the day... The production you're going to get out of him on the mound is absolutely stupidly elite. The per-inning upside of the strikeout numbers is, is very good to fall back on. The win context in Los Angeles is kind of yet to be determined. There's a chance that Los Angeles goes out there this season, and if they stay healthy, they could legitimately, you're going to laugh, but they could legitimately be like a 90-plus win team and go deep in the playoffs. I don't know if their pitching is quite there, but their lineup is is unbelievable, especially the first six, seven batters in that lineup. We just did the preview last week. They are they are so deep. If everybody stays healthy, that's a huge thing, then they could be very good. If they're not healthy, then who knows? But even last year when they were a shitful team, for most of the year anyway, they definitely fell off after a good start. Otani still won 15 games for you. Projections have him going for 12 to 14 victories over about 170 innings, while giving you very similar strikeout and walk in ERA numbers that he gave you last year. The ERA is probably going to go up a little bit because 233 is kind of unrealistically low year after year. But I think he's going to give you somewhere in the high twos, low threes, to go along with incredible strikeouts, to go along with anywhere from 13 to 15 wins. And I do think that having him ranked number seven as strictly a pitcher really makes sense. You could argue that he could be number one. You could argue that he could be 20 based on the risks associated with him but I think number seven is a pretty good spot to land in. He's somebody where, you know, there's another player we're going to talk about in a second. You could really have him ranked anywhere, and it would be hard to to give you grief about it just because of the volatility. And that next guy we're going to talk about, and my apologies for talking so long about Otani, there's just so much to go over with him, and there's, you know, the different rankings based on how you can use him and where he's eligible. It's it's a headache. It's definitely a headache, and you definitely need to know your league rules and settings before you go into a draft and before you take Otani know exactly how you can use him, know your room that you're in generally if people are high on him. If you can, if it's an online draft, then only so much you can do there. But in general, try and figure out, if you can, how high your league mates are on Otani, and you might be able to take him for, and that goes for every player, really, but specifically Otani, he's such a unique player to evaluate, generally get a sense of where your friends' league mates are before you draft. You might be able to get him for a very nice discount, especially when you're talking about Yahoo when you can take him two separate players. It's not just one Otani that's up for grabs. There are two of them. And the pitcher one, being such a value that he is, is probably the one that I that I would be looking to go for. Jacob deGrom is number eight on this list. He is another player, and I tweeted this out, I don't even know when it was, a week ago, a couple weeks ago. You can have Jacob deGrom ranked literally anywhere on your list. You could have him, well, maybe not literally anywhere, but you could probably have Jacob deGrom ranked from anywhere from one to about 30, 25 to 30. And you could be able to justify it anywhere you had him. I've moved him around quite a bit. He was originally in the teens. He was up to number six at one point earlier in draft season. He is now at number eight. Again, uh, I don't even know how to, how to talk about DeGrom. It's a, it's a similar case with Otani. He is almost impossible to even analyze because if he is pitching, and this is not you know breaking news, everybody knows this, everybody says this, when he's out there, he is by far, in a way, the best pitcher in baseball and one of the best pitchers in baseball history. Absolutely a fact, unimpeachable. He is one of the best pitchers we have ever seen take the rubber. Is he going to make 10 starts? Is he going to make 15 starts? Is he going to make 30 starts? Is he going to make two starts? This is the question that keeps me up at night and has me moving him around my rankings all the time. But I've settled in at number eight here because I do think that even with the injury risk, he doesn't need to throw a crazy amount of innings to still be one of the best values in fantasy. The projections are all calling, and the projections, you know... I don't know how in sync the projections are with what's actually going on in DeGrom's elbow, but they think he's going to throw minimum. Zip's projection has him for 100 innings. ATC and the bat are 140, and then Steamer and a couple of the other ones that use depth chart projections are going for about 170 innings. If DeGrom throws 170 innings, he is the number one. He's going to be negatively ranked on the player rater because he's going to be so far ahead of everybody else. But even if DeGrom, let's say he throws 120 innings, I think that's a pretty conservative number, 110, 120 innings, he's still probably worth the price that you're going to have to pay for him because of the per-inning value that you're getting. And we saw it in 2021. He went 7-2, and two, over 15 starts, he threw 92 innings. And this was a podcast, I remember talking about this exact point with Paul Sporer last year when we were talking. It was a Hot Topics episode, and it was before DeGrom was going to come back. It was right around the trade deadline. And I believe he did come back like on the trade deadline. That was the day he made his return. I think it was against the Nationals. But Paul brought up the point, Paul Spore brought up the point that DeGrom in 2021 threw 92 innings. And in terms of where he ranked at the end of the season, he was between Julio Urias, who won 20 games that year, and Kevin Gosman during his breakout season in San Francisco when he was just dynamite, a Cy Young candidate. DeGrom was right beside them. He was sandwiched between them on the player radar. And he spotted them 100 innings that year, roughly 100 innings. I think it was you know, in the 90s-some-odd innings that he spotted them, and he was right there with them. That's the upside that you have with Jacob deGrom, even though he's probably not going to throw 172 innings like projected. That would be absolute best-case scenario. People would be over the moon. I'd be over the moon about it. I'd go buy a jersey at that point probably, he doesn't need to hit the high number on the projection for him to still be valuable. And I know some people will be concerned, especially if you're talking about an NFBC league about using a very high draft pick on him because of what we talked about earlier, you do not have IL spots. That being said, he's still probably worth it. Even though it might be hard to make the actual draft pick to hit the draft button, he's probably worth it anywhere outside of the you know, first round. I'm looking at these most recent drafts. I'm looking at the most recent 33 drafts that have taken place in the month of March. 12-team Rotowire Online Championships. Jacob deGrom's ADP is 29. The minimum pick is 13. So there are people, even in that format, willing to take him in the first round. If you are talking about a 12-team Yahoo League, which is... I'm going to try and focus the majority of my content on Yahoo Leagues. I think the majority of fantasy players and the people that listen to this show and people that consume my content on Twitter, that's what they're playing. If you're in a 12-team Yahoo League, you're getting to Grom in the third round. For the most part, that's where he is going by ADP. That's where he's generally going in these mock drafts that I've done so far. You have to take him at that point. And I know a lot of people will say, no, I, I, I'd I rather go for a safer play at that point. And that would be understandable. For me, you have to take him. And I, I hope that nobody in my home league is listening to this. I, I'm not sure if they really listen regularly. Who the hell knows? I hope they're not because I want to take Jacob deGrom in the third round if I can. Hopefully, you know, maybe not even hopefully, but if I go for a pick that's early enough in the first round, two, three, four, and then I'll draft, you know, late in the second, early in the third, I'm hoping to draft him some point early in the third round at that rate, and maybe even a little bit higher. Maybe I'll take him at the end of the second because the replacement level value is so high in a 12-team league. Whether you're playing 10, 12, even if you're just playing a standard Yahoo-sized uh not Yahoo size, but like standard Yahoo rostered 15 in team league, there's a lot of replacement level value on the waiver wire. You're still talking about a lot of great pitchers you can stream in for two start weeks and for guys who are in advantageous matchups, you know, pitchers in Comerica, you know shitty teams that are leaving you know, when Cincinnati goes on the road, when Colorado goes on the road. There's a, there's a lot of players, there's a lot of situations where you can still stream, especially in a shallower league, there's a lot more options. If the Gram does get hurt. You're not going to be starting a, a total scrub like you would be in a deep NFBC league if he does get hurt. You're starting somebody who is still a, a very serviceable player for the most part. You're drafting 270 players in your standard Yahoo 12-team league. If you go just outside of that based on ADP, and I'll do it on the NFBC site, and I'm open here, it's not going to vary too much once you get to that point necessarily. If you're talking about pitchers past that 270 number, and I think that that's a good range to be looking at because those are the guys that you generally would be streaming in if the Grom were to get hurt you're still talking about guys who are your Jose Urquides Marcus Stroman, Kenta Maeda, Michael Kopeck, Noah Sindergaard, Sean Manaya, Justin Steele, Carlos Carrasco, Ross Stripling, Kyle Bradish, Garrett Whitlock, Hayden Wesneski, Brandon Fott they're not the greatest pitchers in the world for sure but they are still absolutely serviceable there's a bunch of names in that list that I am you know, pretty high on. Ross Stripling, I'm pretty high on. Justin Steele, Sean I really like Kentamaeda. We talked about him yesterday, the day before. Not well, last week, I should say, the last episode we did, as somebody who could be very good. Strowman, like Arkidi is a very a Strowman I don't love, but he's usable. He's not like awful. You know, you could still get some decent outings out of him. Not every time. But if you're using him in the right spots, and that's what it comes down to, if you're streaming and using guys in the correct spots where they are facing teams that are maybe not the greatest, and you have streams like that available to you every week, that's where I'm taking DeGrom. And this has become a kind of a DeGrom argument here to take him. It's, it's kind of my piece here on DeGrom is that you should be taking him If you're in a league with no IL slots, it gets a lot trickier. The the calculus gets a lot harder to figure out, okay, let's say DeGrom throws 100 innings, who's throwing those other 100 innings? But if you're in a 12-teamer, if you're in even a 10, 15, whatever, with IL slots, that becomes a lot easier to deal with. And the upside that you have from DeGrom, even if he's pitching half the time, is still probably a top-20 pitcher at worst, even if he's missing half the season. And it might be even better if we point back to what he did in 2019, Now he was a top 15 pitcher, I believe. He was absolutely unreal, and it was in 92 innings. There's a lot of risk. There is certainly a lot of risk associated with drafting Jacob deGrom, and it won't fit everybody's stomach. Some people are going to say, no, I'm not going to take Jacob deGrom. There's no need for me to be risky and take a guy like that who has tons of injury risk. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take whoever. I'm going to take a Wheeler or a, you know, a Scherzer or an Alcantara or a Manoa or whoever, and I wouldn't fault you for it, but I think that you are limiting your upside at that point. Even though those other names are great, Degrom is the best when he is healthy, and even if he's not healthy for an entire season, which is it's unlikely he will be healthy for an entire season, the production that he's giving you while he is out there is so elite, and you can find replacement level value that I would still be saying yes. Go ahead and take Jacob Degrom. There is no problem for me at this price, at this point, and also at this price. If he's going consistently in the first round in the next week or two, then I'll be out. I'm not taking him in the first round, but second, third. After you've already maybe let's say you've taken a pitcher first round too to just kind of secure yourself that, or even let's say you took Otani, so you have that backup in case Degrom does get hurt. You have Otani that you can slot into your pitching that week or any weeks going forward. I think that makes a lot of sense as a start in a one-two in a draft is Otani and Degrom. DeGrom pays off. Then you have the number one pitcher in fantasy, plus you have Shohei Ohtani as a batter. If DeGrom doesn't, then you can use Ohtani as a pitcher. It's There's a lot of strategies here, and it's also not so cut and dry like I'm making it out to be. There's It's very complicated, but at the same time, the upside of DeGrom is higher than any other pitcher in baseball, and I would be trying to take him where you can, assuming that the price does not get too egregious and he's not going as a top 10 pick. And at this point, I don't think he will be. I think there will be some helium in the high-stakes drafts. But I think in your average draft, if your average home league, 12-teamer, 10-teamer, whatever, I think he's probably still going to go in the late 20s, early 30s. And I think you should definitely be taking a look at him in the third round. For me, I'm smashing it every time. I don't have the shares actually yet to show for it. uh, But I have a couple more drafts. I have one higher-stakes draft, a couple of higher-stakes drafts coming up still. And DeGrom will be on those teams if I have anything to say about it. We'll see how high he gets pushed up but I'm going to try and take him where I can might have to be a second round pick. But at that point I'd probably be willing to pay it guys. Let's move on to Kevin Gossman. I probably am going to get through, I'm going to say 10, maybe 12 names today. I wasn't sure how long I would ramble, but I've been rambling. So I won't get as deep as I thought, but it's okay. Uh, this is pitching week. So we're going to talk pitching for, for pretty much the whole week. Uh, but let's move on to number nine for me. And that is Kevin Gosman. Another tricky player to rank a little bit last season. He was incredibly good. He had a 3.35 ERA. His expected numbers were even better than that. His FIP, his Fielding Independent Pitching, was 238. It was more than a full, just about a full run lower than what he actually gave you. His expected ERA, essentially. uh, The actual XERA was 334. The FIP, 238. The XFIP was 275. And his Sierra, the skills indicative ERA, was 294. He was so good last season, and watching almost all of his starts, am I a little bit biased on Kevin Gosman? Maybe a little bit. I'm trying to remove all of that bias when making these ranks because I I fully acknowledge I am a Toronto homer. But Kevin Gosman last season gave you that 335 ERA. He gave you a 28% strikeout rate. He walked less than 4% of the batters that he faced, and yet still his ERA was 335. Why was it this high? because he gave up the highest BABIP that has ever been allowed, I believe, going back 100 years at 363. And I know a lot of people will say, yes, you can't just cut and dry say that BABIP, you know, it's it's a lazy argument, people will say, that BABIP will regress, BABIP will regress, one way or the other, it'll go back to the mean. It will, though. It's not, to, it's not a stupid, lazy argument if it's actually a fact. And with Kevin Gosman, 363 is not going to happen again it's just it's not and people will say jose barrios had the second worst spab upon the blue jays jose barrios was absolute he was awful last season he looks awful so far this season too jose barrios is nowhere near the pitcher that kevin gosman is will the field at toronto play a bit of an impact on there yeah it probably will to some degree But the point where we're suppressing Kevin Gosman's draft price this season has gotten kind of funny to me at this point. Like, he's not going until the 50s. I know he's going higher in some cases. 62 is his most recent ADP. I have a few shares of Kevin Gosman because I just think the price is so reasonable. When you look at the last two seasons, you know, it's not just this past season where he was very good. 2021, he had a 281 ERA. He was, like, the actual results were a little bit better. The strikeout rate was just ever so slightly higher. He did cut the walk rate, but this is two straight years now where he's really, really flourished. And you can even argue back to 2020 is when he fully first, anyway, started to get things under control. These last two years, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's made 30 plus starts both times. He is pitching for one of the best teams in all of baseball. As much as I am biased, there's still a fact that the Blue Jays are at worst the top seven or eight team in all of baseball and probably closer to top five when you look at the lineup, you look at the rotation, you look at the reinforcements they've added in the pen this year. I think the Blue Jays are close to being a top 5 team. Kevin Gosman is going to pitch probably a lot of innings. You're probably going to see close to 180 innings, maybe more. He threw 174 last year, 192 the year prior. So that is kind of secure. I know that, you know, I this is my line, past health is not a, an indicator of future health. But, you know, it's better than looking at a DeGrom Stat line and seeing you know us under hundred innings every year. Somebody who's actually going out there and producing consistently for these last couple of seasons. I know early in his career it was he was kind of hit or miss. There were some good seasons, there were some bad seasons, but these last couple of years, man, going to San Francisco. I've said this a lot on the podcast that you go to San Francisco as a guy who is you know you don't have to be a spring chicken. He went there when he was his age twenty nine season, and they tinkered with something. And I'm going to take a look at the pitch mix and see if it drastically changed that year or something. But, I mean, he threw his fastball a little bit less, the slider a little bit more, changeup threw a little bit more that year. Nothing crazy. I don't know what it is exactly. San Francisco, they've got some, some devil magic over there or something because so many different pitchers go in, there. and that's why part of the reason why I'm big on Stripling and Minaya this season because pitchers who go into San Francisco, something is typically changed there. There is something that gets tinkered with, and these guys who were previously kind of mediocre pitchers turned into your Gosmans and your Alex Cobbs and Alex Wood, and you know i know the defense kind of suppresses the 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 stat line that you're going to get out of these pitchers in san francisco but he's not in san francisco anymore he had kind of a tough year in toronto if you look at what he should have actually done for you compared to the actual numbers it might not look like a tough year with a 3.35 era But the 363 Babbitt, if you watch some of these innings with Kevin Gosman, some of these flares that were finding their way through and balls, the seeing-eye baseballs, like he was unlucky, and he was still so, so good. So I have no real concern with Kevin Gosman at all. The team context is good, good strikeout numbers, very low walk rate, which will be helping out with the whip category a lot, even though it was kind of high last year, 124. It was because... He allowed a 270 batting average, and it was because of the Babbitt. Like, historically, he's, you know, you factor in some of the earlier seasons too. It's even with those earlier seasons, the batting average against is 250, 255 for him. 270, not realistic, especially when you look at the fact that he's a completely different pitcher than he was when he was allowing those higher batting averages earlier in his career when it was 270s, 280s. The last two seasons before this was 218 and 208. With the Babups at very reasonable, expectable numbers at 296 and 274, is there concern about bringing the walls in in Toronto? Some people have some concerns about that for sure. He doesn't have a home run problem. He's not really had a home run pl- problem going back to you know his time in Baltimore. Last two seasons, very good sub one homers per nine numbers. Kevin Gosman, I think he's very very safe. I think he is the quintessential guy to target if you did wait on pitching. If you're not taking a guy in the first three rounds or the first four rounds, depending on your your draft room and depending on your format and your league size and all that, Kevin Gosman makes a very strong case as, the SP, as your SP1 if that is the build you want to go about. And that's what I'm doing a lot of the time this season is waiting on starting pitching because you don't need to push it up so much. If you want to, then you can absolutely take your burns and your coals very early, and your McClanahan's and Woodruff's and Nola's, you don't have to. You know, I'm, I'm totally in favor of having you know a diverse player pool in terms of multiple drafts. You take one guy here, you take one guy there. He gets hurt, he doesn't kill you in both leagues. If you're building a team around not taking starting pitching early, Kevin Gosman is the perfect guy to target at the end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth round. Probably by the time we get the draft season beginning of the fourth, let's be honest, the pitching will get pushed up a little bit. I think he probably ends up as close to being a top 50 pick. But I've heard some cold water on him recently. I do not share the sentiments. And there's some smart people who are throwing some cold water on him. But I just can't get behind it when you factor in everything that's going on with Kevin Gosman. He is the ace of this Blue Jays staff, even though Alec Manoa might get the ball on opening day. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Essentially 1A and 1B there, however you work it out. And that is for the team that is, in my opinion, likely to win the American League East this season. When you look at their team construction the lineup is incredibly good there should be a lot of run support the win potential is there for him at the end of the day Kevin Gosman could be a Cy Young winner last season if he had a bit better luck you could look at his numbers and argue that he could have been at very least a finalist like he was he was robbed last season of accolades I don't believe I've tried to purge it all from my memory at this point I don't think he was an all-star last season and I you know as I say that out loud I do kind of remember being kind of pissed off about that. Like how the hell is Kevin Gosman not an all-star? Like what are we doing here? But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're an all-star or not for fantasy. It does not matter one bit. The production you're going to get out of Kevin Gosman should still be absolutely top tier. So Go ahead and take him in the fourth round. The price is very reasonable, and it's probably going to get more expensive by the day. So the sooner you draft, the sooner you can take Kevin Gosman. I do recommend drafting as close to opening day as possible. Then you avoid your Rodon news and your Tyler Glass now news and different things like that. But I think the price is going to get a little bit more expensive. That's why I do a bunch of different drafts. You do a couple in January, do a couple in February, a couple in March. I did one in November, and I took Kevin Gosman in that draft, and I actually took him – I think, uh, actually, show me here. I took him at a pretty reasonable price uh, at 73. That's where I got him at that draft. Don't think you'll be getting him at that point anymore. That's why you mix it up a little bit, but we spent a lot of time on Kevin Gosman. Let's talk about my number 10 pitcher before we wrap it up for today. That is going to be Mad Max, Mr. Max Scherzer himself. Now, he's somebody that I have moved around a little bit in the rankings. I am a little bit nervous about the fact that he did miss some time last season that hasn't been the case for him really ever. He's typically been a guy who is throwing 200 innings all the time, consistently going back to like 2009, he threw 170 innings. And then every year from then on, 170, 195, 195, 187, and then 214, 220, 228, 228, 200, 220. It was an incredible stretch of of innings for him there. He built up a lot of mileage on that arm. 2019, it was 171, and then the short season, it was 67. He still made 12 starts in that time frame. 2021, it was 179 innings, and then this season, 23 starts. It was his fewest starts over the course of a full season in his entire career. I'm excluding 2020. I'm excluding his rookie year in that. Only 145 innings, which is also a career low. <sighs> That's the only real worry. Like, when Max Scherzer is out there, you know he's going to be elite. It's just a matter of, is the body starting to wear down a little bit now as we're in, you know, age 38 slash age 39 season? He'll be 39 in July. Is he starting to wear down a little bit? And I think that the answer is probably yes, but at the same time, I still do trust him on this team. Again, the team context is unimpeachable. The team is amazing. They're going to win a lot of games, and Max Scherzer... Assuming he is out there and healthy, is going to win a lot of those games. The strikeout numbers, even though it fell a little bit below what we're used to for Max Scherzer this season, you know, it fell down a little bit. The K per nine to uh, you know a horrible ten point seven Ks per nine. He's still striking out more than thirty percent of batters, and he walked only four point two percent of batters, which was the second lowest number in his career outside of twenty fifteen when it was three point eight. But only four point two percent walk rate to go along with a, plus, a thirty plus percent strikeout rate. Now, there's something that I forget who said it to me. It might have been in Arizona. It might have been on a podcast. They might not even have said it to me. They might have just said it in general. That with guys like Scherzer and and Justin Verlander, you kind of have to trust when they say that they are good to go, that they are good to go. And they are not going to take away from the overall output of their career for the sake of, you know, one more season. Players do that. And we saw in the NFL with Tom Brady this last season. He played one more year. He didn't get a damn thing out of it. He looked awful. He took away from the career stats a little bit. He had a losing season. It was a bad... I believe they had a losing season. It was was a bad note to go out on. Players do that, but I just don't really see that happening with Scherzer and also with Justin Verlander. I think that if he is healthy, he is going to go out there, and he's not going to pitch unless he is fully 100%. If they start to feel like they are wearing down or winding down... I don't think that they're going to be ushered out the back door after a 5-5 ERA season. I do not see that for Max Scherzer. I still see great team contacts, great strikeouts, great ratios. Like last season, his ERA, I'm just going to check this real quick, it was the lowest of his career. It was 2.29. The pitching indicators still back up that he is legit. 2.87 X ERA, 262 FIP. He is still throwing darts out there. I'm not worried about Max Scherzer. He was still averaging 94 on the fastball. That's what he's always averaged. It's right in line there with with his entire career. His rookie season, he averaged 94.2. This last season, 94.1. I think he still got it. I think that he is still a top 10 pitcher. And again, this range you can kind of massage it a little bit if you wanted to have somebody else as the you know the number 10 pitcher. You could maybe make an argument for Alcantara. I got a lot of grief about Sandy Alcantara. You know, there's a couple of guys, Verlander you could push up, maybe you could push up Wheeler, but I think Max Scherzer, you're getting that security all around with him. And even just like compared to Justin Verlander, he's a few years younger, not having to worry about learning a new team this year, which I don't know if that's really a big deal at this point. These guys have already figured out their routines and everything else. But, you know, if you're going to be choosing between two guys, one of them's, We'll go to a new team, one of them staying on his old team. I'll take in the guy who stayed on his old team most of the time, unless you're talking about somebody going to San Francisco, a new pitcher, something like that. But in terms of Scherzer, Verlander, I think it's a decent argument you can make. Even though I have him a couple of spots apart, Scherzer is the guy that I would be taking there. A couple of years younger, you're still getting great production across the board. Now, the injury, is that a concern? Maybe it is a little bit of a concern, but if Max Scherzer is going out there and telling us he's healthy and the results still look good, which they, they do... I I am going to trust him as somebody that I will be taking in drafts. And the price for Max Scherzer, I don't think it's crazy. I think it's fairly reasonable where you're getting him. Uh, Where did he go now? Here he is, 42. 42 is his ADP in these most recent NFBC online championships. These are 12-team leagues. The minimum pick is 27. The max is 54. I think if you're getting him anywhere in that third, fourth round range, that's a very reasonable price to be paying you're getting Elite Four category production and you should still be getting it over the course of most of a season. It might not be 220 innings anymore, but I think he can probably give you somewhere from 160 to 180, 190. And at that point, you're you're definitely getting a positive return on your investment. Guys, we're gonna wrap it up there. We'll do the top 10 today and we'll try and be more concise going forward. I don't plan on spending as much time on each individual name as we go down the list. I'll try and do some more groupings. Uh, but the top 10, I wanted to lay it out in a lot of detail as possible because I know the top 10 is kind of everybody looks at top 10s for, for everything. And, you know, I wanted to give it a little bit more uh, background as opposed to the detail that I'm going to give you guys when we talk about Bailey Ober and Eduardo Rodriguez and Braxton Garrett. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed. I'll go over this list one more time. Corbin Burns at one. Shane McClanahan is at number two. Garrett Cole at three. Spencer Strider, four. Brandon Woodruff at five. Nola at six. Otani, seven. DeGrom, eight. Gosman at nine. And then Max Scherzer at number 10. We'll get into it again tomorrow. We'll probably do like 11 through 30 tomorrow. And then we'll do like 31 through 60 or something. And then we'll we'll figure it out. This week is pitching week. We needed to take a break from the team previews because we've been doing so many of them. They're almost done. I think there's seven more. And I was planning on getting them out this week, but I did tinker with the schedule a little bit. Because I do want to start talking about pitching. Because drafts are really starting to come up. Uh, everybody is starting to get ready for their home league drafts. Maybe some people have done them already. Mine is going to be, I think, March 20-something. We're going to try and push it as close to the start of the season as possible. Because for a lot of those guys, it's going to be their only league for the year. Not trying to draft an injured player before the season starts and what have you. So we're going to be doing that. Um Somewhere in the week of the March twentieth, I think a lot of home league drafts are going to start getting going. A lot of drafts in general, and I wanted to get pitching rankings and rankings altogether uh, out before we got too late into draft seasons to the point where they don't mean anything at that point. But we got them, we got them out. They are on Twitter. If you want to check them out, the whole top fifty at Joe ninety nine and at Ethos Fantasy BB. They're also posted over there. There will be a corresponding article that goes along with these rankings later out on this week at sportsethos.com That will be in the draft guide. Now, the draft guide, there is a paywall on most of the stuff in the draft guide. There's free sample, and then there is, you know, you get a couple of write-ups for free depending on what article you're looking at. The paywall is differently placed in different articles. Uh, But the rankings are all free. The rankings, I wanted to have a part of the draft guide that was strictly, you know, everybody can look at it. I know everybody likes to look at rankings, and you can check out the rankings if you enjoy seeing the rankings, if you enjoy the show, Please do think about going and getting one of our draft guides, one of our fantasy passes. The baseball content is included in both. Now, there will be free content and paid content throughout the season. Obviously, the podcast can be free. Some articles will be behind the wall. Some of them will be free for everybody. So check out sportsethos.com. Check out some of our plans there, all the great options we have. Not just fantasy. We have wager and stuff as well. We have a ton to go check out. There are so many passes. There are so many options at SportsEthos.com. You hover over the Premium tab or the MLB tab, and you guys can figure out uh, how to get yourselves a package there. Preferably go check out the baseball stuff. But if you get a Fantasy Pass, you get basketball included in it as well. If you guys are in your Fantasy Basketball playoffs looking to get a little bit more of an edge, go get a Fantasy Pass. Five ninety nine. $5.99. You get all that basketball stuff and the baseball stuff all included. Or you can just get the MLB Draft Guide, which I believe is $9.99. Um, but, guys, thank you. Thank you so much again checking out the show i really appreciate all the support you guys have given me been a very successful couple of months on the podcast we've just been growing and growing and that is thanks to you guys the listeners so i really appreciate that you can show your appreciation for the podcast by leaving a review i'd really appreciate that if you guys would do that let me know what you think whether it's five stars four stars i'm not going to give you grief let me know what exactly you think of the podcast if you want to write some review whatever absolutely there for it as well if you have direct comments that you want to reach out to me about, whether it's something you liked, didn't like on the show, hit me up on Twitter. Like I said, at Joe Urico 99, I'll get back to you. We'll talk about whatever it is that you guys are concerned about, or maybe you just want to talk baseball. Always open. The DMs are always open over there for any questions or anything of that regard. But guys, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll be talking pitchers 11 through yet to be determined, depending on how much I ramble. But until then, take care, have a great night, and cheers, everybody.